My name is Jeremy Anderson, and I serve as the middle school ministry director here and love it. Uh, in case you were wondering, it's not Student Ministry Sunday. A lot of you guys are like, we don't see you unless it's Student Ministry Sunday, but it's not. So uh, we're going to continue in our series in Acts, so I invite you this morning to open up to Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. If you are using your pew Bible, you can find the passage on page 910. Uh, as you're turning there, I want you to think with me for a minute about uh, something so basic, something that we use all the time, uh, but oftentimes don't give much thought to, our words. Uh, now words, uh, when, we're, when we're kids, we're told to be very careful with our words because once you say them, you cannot get them back. We, we say this because we know that they have great power. They have power to uh, bring people down and cut deep to the heart. And that's why we want to be careful. You don't want to hurt somebody with your words. Words can do a lot in accomplishing good, and they can do a lot in bringing harm. So uh, some examples of ways that words can bring harm is uh, nothing hurts more than someone saying, you're ugly. I don't like when people tell me that I'm ugly. It doesn't happen often. But when they do, it's not fun. All right? Uh, words can be used to ridicule and mock people. Not, it's great when you do something really goofy, and then people just never let you live it down, and they mock you for it time and time again. You're like, will this ever end? Words can mock. Uh, words can be divisive. As Proverbs says, a harsh word can stir up anger. We see this happen in families, between friends. As a middle school youth pastor, I see it a lot with students, right? Did you hear what... Joey sent me in a text message this week. No, I didn't. What happened? He said that he doesn't want to be my friend anymore. I, crazy stuff. And, and words can bring division. It happens between race, culture, and political views. Words can also carry the burden of bad news. At times we look at the latest uh, headlines in the world and we see news of natural disasters and trafficking and and wars and rumors of wars and we're like what is going on and words can bring great uh, bad news but despite all that words can do immeasurable good so we all know the power that a simple hello and a kind greeting can give on a bad day someone who just says hi how are you as a, as a kid it's, it's important to hear that your parents love you it's great to see my wife light up when I say, Brie, you look beautiful today. And she, her face goes all like smiley. She's like, oh, that's nice. Words can do a lot of good. I'll never uh, forget, as a senior in high school, when we won the state championship, my dad came down on the court afterwards, and he, he came up to me and gave me this big old hug, and he said, I'm proud of you. And that meant so much to me to hear my dad say, I'm proud of you. A few simple words can have so much meaning they can give confidence and security and motivate us to do so much. And we're going to learn this morning that God has given us the gift of words to declare truth as well. So last week our passage in Acts ended with the apostles after on the day of Pentecost being mocked and ridiculed and accused of being drunken men because of the work of the Holy Spirit that was taking place inside of them. And that's going to introduce us to where we are today. So let's just start reading. We're not going to read our whole passage at once. We're going to come back and reference it throughout the message. So starting in verse 14, it says this, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Let's pray as we dive into what Peter's message was for these people. Lord, we praise you as the risen King and Savior. 
God, we thank you uh, that you have given us your word as truth. And I ask now that as we spend some time talking about Peter's sermon, that you would communicate truth through your spirit even now. Lord, that you would open our hearts to hear what you would have to say, that we would be equipped to do every good work that you've prepared for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's look at Peter's sermon. Before we dive into it, a couple important things to note about it. First, uh, Peter's preaching to an audience of unbelievers. So we're sitting here as believers, a little bit of a different audience. So that tells us off the get-go that Peter's uh, purpose in his sermon is primarily evangelistic. He's trying to convince people of the truth. He addresses a false understanding, and he's going to correct it with the accurate interpretation of what was going on at that time. Hence, the title of today's message is, The Truth Is, because that's what Peter's getting at. A false accusation has been given. He says, listen, guys, the truth is, this is what's happening. The second thing, on kind of just a random cool note, is Peter's sermon was taking place probably right around the time that this was, this sermon is, or even a little earlier, 9 a.m. in the morning. So good job you guys got up in here and, and ready to go for uh, the message this morning. Third, Peter calls his audience to listen. Now, as parents, I'm sure you've done this a number of times. My parents did it all the time. My mom especially, she was like, Jeremy, look at me. Listen carefully to what I'm telling you right now. And I'd be like, uh-huh. And she starts talking and telling me the directions of what it is that I'm supposed to do, where to find something. And, and as I'm going, I'm like, yeah, this is great. And evidently, as I walk away, I'm like, wait, what did she say? I don't know. But now, I, I'm not a parent, but I am a, a youth pastor with middle school students, and I'll do this oftentimes. I'm talking to them. If there's an important message that they need to hear, I'll say, okay, everybody's eyes on me. Look at me right now. I need you to hear what I'm saying. And Peter's doing this. He's saying, guys, I need you to listen to me. Consider what it is that I have to say right now. And he's going to do this twice. He does it at the start, and he's going to do it about halfway through. This is going to tell us that he's got something important that we need to hear. And that's true for all of us. The last thing is that Peter's sermon resulted in an awakening. It said 3,000 people became saved that day. So I was a little disappointed to see that there weren't 3,000 people here today. Um, but I also was thinking, man, no pressure. Like, you're preaching a sermon on a sermon that resulted in 3,000 people being saved. I mean, what do you add to that? What do you, like, should I just read it and be done? Like, okay, guys, we're just going to read 14 to 41 and then have a good Sunday. We'll see you tonight. Um, no, so we're going to do what we can. But uh, what a great reminder it is for us of what God did to establish his church. That through the message of one man, God was able to work in the hearts of many to reveal them the truth. That God, on that day, found 3,000 people. Remember, the Jews all had gathered, and now they're going to go back to their areas in the world, and the message of Jesus Christ was going to go with them. How amazing is that? It's cool that we celebrated communion as we celebrate together as a family, as a church, the work that Jesus did on the cross. Now we're going to spend some time today also celebrating the work that God did, but hopefully it will also serve as, a, as an encouragement for us that we would carry the spirit of this sermon into our day-to-day -day lives. So as we jump in, Peter's sermon. The first point of Peter's sermon was that he defends the Spirit's ministry with Scripture. Now, it's not like the times you're, you might think of. I, when I was thinking through them, I'm like, how about all those times where you walk in on a situation and you're like, what is going on right now? I thought of this time uh, at fall camp with some of the middle school boys. We were getting ready to kind of shut down for the night, going back to the cabins. I walk in the cabin, and if you don't have middle schoolers, 
or don't spend much time around them, they either smell of two things, B.O. or ungodly amounts of axe. And I walk in this cab and it's like a wall of axe just like hits you and you're like, it's almost worse than B.O. because you can't even breathe. You're like, what? And I'm like, what is going on in here? And I see some, some guys around this table in the middle of the cabin, and they're sliding this bottle of Axe across. And I don't know all the details of what they were doing, but something, if, if the, the bottle of Axe landed at some certain way on the table, then they'd have to spray it at each other. Apparently it landed that way a lot, because there was no mistaking the smell of Axe in that cabin. So, so it's not really like that, what Peter's situation is, that he's walking, that these guys are coming in and saying, what is going on? And it's a bad thing, but the defense, Peter stands and says, listen, this is not what you think it is. And he has a good explanation for what's going on. Something important to note is that the apostles were showing evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. There was no mistaking it. Remember, this drew a crowd. There was a crowd around. There was no mistaking that there was a, di- a very real and distinct difference between them and the other Jews in town. And I'm going to say this. It wasn't that they were just going to church. Sometimes as Christians, we get, we get this idea that, you know, if I go to church and I go to church regularly, then I'm good, man. I'm, I'm different than other people. But the difference here was not their church attendance or their, their temple attendance or going to the synagogues, but it was very real living out of the Spirit's work in their lives. This is why there was a defense need to be given in the first place. So, what Peter did first was address the misconception. These men are drunk. He says, no, it's too early for that. It's 9 a.m. What, what do you think? And there's lots of reasons. You know, we're not going to get into why, but there's, there's great reasons of why. that wouldn't. Be, so he didn't spend a lot of time trying to say, these men aren't drunk. There was no breathalyzer test or sobriety test that they made all these men go through to prove that they weren't drunk. But Peter jumped right into explaining the truth of the matter. He says, the truth is, fellas, that this is what Joel talked about. You know, this, this works for the Jews because they would have been familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And he says, this is what Joel talked about, that God's spirit would come upon all mankind. It wouldn't be reserved for the religious elitists. It wouldn't be preserved for the prophets or kings or rulers of the day. As we read in the Old Testament, that's what would happen. The spirit would come upon someone for a period to accomplish something. But Peter's saying, no, this is, this is what it's talking about when it's going to come upon, upon all people, men, women, young and old, slave and free. There's no distinction. God's going to give his spirit to everybody who believes. Whoa! I think about that. That's us today. As believers, we get that spirit of God. There was no distinction in God's eyes. And so does your life today, does it manifest the, the working of the Holy Spirit? Would your neighbor be able to tell a difference in you by the way you treat people, the way you organize your priorities, spend your time, the way that you honor God, the way you speak of God, if you speak of God in your conversations. There are times that we are so afraid in today's culture of standing out. We want to be like the spiritual chameleons and and, you know, growing up, if you've been around the church, a lot of times you'll ask the question, well, how far can I go without sinning? How far so far? And I think that carries along into adulthood, too. We just don't maybe phrase it that way, but the mentality is still there. How much of the world can I look like without being too worldly? 
how much can I blend in and still be a Christian? And that's not the, the idea that Peter and the apostles had, but they would stand out. They would be bold and confident of the work that God was doing in their lives, and they would open their mouths about it. And brothers and sisters, if we are living lives marked by the Holy Spirit, we're going to be a little different. We're going to stand out. And that's okay. That's a good thing. We shouldn't be like the world. Take encouragement in that. But there will be times where that happens. And it's not always going to be that we're going to stand out as lunatics or weirdos. And be like, what's wrong with that person? You know, Jeremy over there is a wacko. You know, uh, but there's going to be times where we stand out because we have sound discernment. We're going to stand out because uh, our priorities are right and we're honoring our families and honoring God in the process and caring for each other. And people's heads will turn, what is going on there? What is happening? If you cannot see in your life how the Spirit is working, then it's safe to say that the people around you can't either. If you can't see it yourself, then nobody else who's around you is going to see how the Spirit is at work in your life. And these men were called to a defense, to witness to the work of the Spirit because they let it be demonstrated in their lives. We can't quench the Spirit in what it is doing. And a lot of times we'll, we'll let our busy schedules and our entertainment and things like that jump in the way and, and we'll ignore the promptings of the Spirit to be obedient. You know, that nudge to go and, and pray for this person that you know is struggling. Or just to say hi. Or to give to a brother or sister who you know is struggling. To go over there and mow someone's lawn, whatever it may be, that we can come up with all kinds of reasons not to do. And too often, that's the route that we take. But Peter addresses the unbelieving audience with Scripture. And a lot of times, when, when the opportunity does arise for us to defend our faith and to talk about our faith, uh, we'll say all the time, well, you don't want to use the Bible to talk about God because the people you're talking to may not believe that the Bible's real. Okay, fine, but Peter used it, and that was his defense. Jesus used it, and that was his defense. Paul used it, and it was his defense. What confidence, what authority do you have as a believer to defend your faith when the, the place where you receive the information and knowledge and, and truth about your faith, you put away? You say, I'm not going to use this right now. I'm just going to use logic with you. I'm just going to reason. And there's a time and a place for reasoning. Peter uses it. He says, listen, guys, it's too early. It's too early for this to happen. It's reason, but it only gets you so far. We need the Scriptures to communicate truth, and Peter went directly there because he knows that in the Scriptures, that's where his truth is. We have to remember what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We shouldn't be so quick to abandon the Bible. But this should be the one place where we can have serious uh, confidence. Because what is written here and what we know here is truth. There's nothing to be ashamed of in this. Nothing to be ashamed of. We could stand on it. We have to remember what the prophet Isaiah records in Isaiah 55:11. The Lord saying, My word will never return empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. It's not our responsibility to change people's hearts. It's not our responsibility to make them believe what the Bible says. Our responsibility is to share it with them. It's the Holy Spirit's work to be 
working in the hearts of other people and convincing them of the truth. In Romans, we're told we've got to open our mouths. So God has given us the powerful words of Scripture for our good and to share with others around us. And Peter's sermon defended the ministry of the new church, the, the ministry of the Spirit, with the Bible. And we can do that today as well. So Peter gave his defense, and then he calls attention back to his words. So he, he spent some time, he, he was in Joel, and then as we get into verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. He says, In case I've lost you, listen up. We've got more good things to, to talk about here. And he goes in and he, he declares that Jesus Christ is Master and Lord. Now, I don't know if you've watched, if you watch many movies. I, I like watching movies, but I don't watch them too often. But I, I'll notice this a lot, is, uh, especially in some of these like superhero movies that are out there. You'll, there's always a time where the protagonist is depicted as this, this savior. And they kind of take on this, this idea. And what's always interesting to me is you'll see them coming in in the scene or at some point when they're making a sacrifice or really putting their lives on the line, this happens. Have you ever noticed that as you're watching a movie? People will be depicted like this as they're coming in to save the day. Um, I've seen it in the Marvel movies. It's crazy. Their arms stretch wide and the music, the music, man, we don't have music just as a part of our regular lives. Imagine if your life was, there's a soundtrack to your life. You know, that'd be such a different thing. But there's a soundtrack to a movie. And as you're, as you're uh, watching this movie and this is happening, the, the music gets so intense and serious that it builds up inside of you this like, desire to be like, yes, yes, get it. You're the same. You're save them. Yeah, it's good. I don't know if they had music playing during Peter's sermon. But if they did, it would have been intense because he's going to talk about Jesus as the Master and Messiah. And when he does it, he, he does what's difficult and that none of us really like to do much, uh, either on the giving or receiving end of it. And he, and he calls people out point blank for what they've done. And he gives his audience no excuse. He tells his people that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and that God had attested this reality to them in many signs and wonders. That there would be no excuse. In John 20, 30 to 31, John says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Peter says, Truth is, fellas, Jesus is the Messiah and Lord. He's talking to Jewish people who are waiting for their Messiah, and he says, That was him. That was him. And you nailed him to the cross by the hands of sinful men. But in this statement, I think he was being very gracious. Firm, but gracious and, and gentle. As he says um, in here that this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. He doesn't share this with them to, to rip on him and bash him and say, come on, you fools, Like, what is going on? But with a graciousness and a compassion in his heart that this is the Messiah and you need to know him. This was according to God's plan. Even though you did the most extreme thing you could think of to thwart the ministry of Jesus Christ, you couldn't stop him. God used your evil plans to carry out his good. You nailed him. He was not. He didn't spare him and say that. Uh, 
You didn't, don't worry about it. But he says, you nailed him to the cross. But God was working in that. Jesus cannot be stopped. And all things happen around us in this world under the sovereignty of God. The evil things that, that we see take place are still within the sovereignty of God. And Jesus is the Lord and Master of all. There's a story of the captain of the ship who was sailing in the, in the night, and it was very dark and foggy. And he looked out, and in the distance he could see some very faint lights. So he uh, told his signalman to send a message that said, Alter your course 10 degrees south. And a message returned that said, Alter your course 10 degrees north. And the captain was a little upset, and he says, Okay, send another message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm the captain. And a response came back, Alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm seaman third class. Captain's getting pretty ticked off at this point. He's like, what is going on? He's like, send another one. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a battleship. He's like, that'll do it. That'll tell him. Message comes back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. There are times in our lives where we speak to God as if we're a battleship, right? We expect God to alter his course because we think we've got something going for us. We think we have our plans and ideas exactly right, but the truth is that God is immovable and He is the Master and He will rule no matter what. There are lots of voices in this world today, especially in this information-loaded world. If you were to reach in your purse or cell phone or or your uh, pocket right now, you'd probably pull out a cell phone. You have unlimited access to information and messages within that phone. It's a little computer in your pocket. You want to know what's going on in the world? Look up the news. You've got it right there. You want to know what's going on in your best friend's life? Call them up. You want to know how mom and dad are doing? Give them a ring. Shoot them a text. Facebook? Let's you know everybody's life. All right? There's information everywhere. And we need to be careful as to where we're hearing and believing and following the information in our lives. Because there's all kinds of blogs, newscasts, uh, messages, magazines, newspapers, etc. We can hear information that can be deceitful and wrong. And we need to be sure as Christians to be knowing the scriptures and filtering everything through this. This should be our authority. This should be our truth. We shouldn't rely only on the happenings around us for information, but that we would rejoice in God's word. See, Peter isn't talking about Jesus as master to suggest it to his audience, to say, hey, you know what? You know, I, I believe that Jesus is the Lord. Uh, if you don't, that's, that's fine. You know, that's your opinion. That's good. Peter's saying, this is, this is matter of fact. Jesus is the master, period. End of discussion. Your option is either to bow the knee to him or to continue to fight against him. He doesn't say that this is up for debate. He says the only debate is within your heart whether or not you will follow Jesus as Lord. And so he goes on and he talks about uh, Psalm 16. And this is quite possibly one of the greatest statements in this whole sermon. I love it. It says, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, Jesus Christ, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. It says, Jesus is Lord and Master. He's also Messiah. Because death couldn't conquer him. The grave could not keep Jesus down. And Peter's excited about this. He says, this is, this is great. 
this is good news. Jesus is risen. And today we can still celebrate the fact that Jesus is a risen Lord and Savior. But Peter's a good uh, preacher, and he knows what's going through his audience's mind. He knows what they'll think as he quotes uh, Psalm 16, when he says that, "...because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy ones to undergo decay." Peter knows that they're going to say, well, Peter, you're just talking, that's David talking about himself. So, Peter says, listen, I can confidently tell you, David is dead. Not to be morbid or anything, but David died. He was buried. His grave is still here. If you doubt me, we can go check it out. We can go look right now. His, his body is in decay. This, David was looking forward to the Messiah, the risen Son of God, in talking about Jesus. You can't say the same thing about Jesus' grave, that it's still there, that he's still in it. But he is risen. Because of this truth that Jesus has con- conquered the grave and that he is risen, we today can still live in confidence. We can share and declare to the world around us that Jesus Christ is Master. He's Lord. He is Messiah. He is the only way. We can echo Peter's message that that Jesus is Lord. Come and serve Him and follow Him. We don't have to be uh, timid in our responses, but we can be bold and confident. And the last thing is Peter's sermon demands a response. I guess I'm kind of on a movie track today, um, but have you ever watched a movie and as you're watching this movie, or maybe you're reading a book or, or whatever, I don't read many books, but uh, maybe that's your thing. Um, and you're, you're in the middle of this story, and you get so caught up in it, and you just like, the emotions are building, and all of a sudden you find this like lump in your throat, and you're just like, you almost want to like cry. You're like, I can't, I can't, because then the people around me are going to think I'm some weirdo, like, I can't cry, hold it together, hold it together, Jeremy, you can, you can get through this. I know it's touching. I know it's like motivating, but just don't cry. You're so no, I'm like looking out, and you guys are all like, <laughs> I guess it's just me. Um, but I, I, I used to be like hard nosed when I watch movies. Nothing, no emotion. Now I'm like watching movies. I'm like getting the lump in my throat over like absolutely nothing. It's, it's ridiculous. But uh, that's my problem, I guess. Uh, and it could be a, a sports movie, you know. Uh, a movie that depicts the events of war or whatever, and I'm like, oh, the emotion. It elicits a response out of me, right? And the, this last week I got to spend a couple days in the Rockies. That elicited a response out of me as well. You're just like, wow. It's like I'm small. You walk around here and you're like, I'm taller than everything. You go out to Colorado, you're shorter than anything. <laughs> and it elicits a response. And Luke tells us that Peter's sermon elicited a response from his audience. It says they were pierced to the heart. Whew. Imagine that. We love it when we, when we come to church and we'll hear a message that just like it grips your heart. And you're like, oh. Yeah, and so they're like, what do we got to do? What do we got to do? And Peter says, well, you got to repent. We're going to get to the responses that he talks about in a little bit. But first, the reason I think Peter's audience got to this point is I think, I think Peter won them over by being a good persuader. I think he stuck to what he would later say in, in 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. He gave a defense. He was firm, but he was gentle and respectful. 
I see a lot of times as Christians, we get so heated in our debates. We'll talk about different ethical or moral uh, dilemmas in our world or even theological ideas. And man, we just like rag on each other and we'll rag on other people and we get so hostile and mean. And it's no wonder that people look at us and like, I don't want to believe what you believe. But Peter was, was gentle. He reasoned with them and said, this is the error in your way. This is the truth. But he did not do it in a hostile way. I believe that's what won his audience over, that he was able to defend. See, his, uh, his, his defense was compassionate, but he allowed room for the Holy Spirit to work. Sometimes today, I don't think we allow much room for the Spirit to work. We, we, do, we try to do the work of the Spirit ourselves, and we just start harping on people, and we get heated, and we start saying things that, that are divisive and hurting. And that does not give the Spirit opportunity to work in the hearts of the people that we're speaking with. But Peter did. So it's sad that the common uh, perception of Christians is that they're hypocrites and judgmental people. So let's take an example from Peter and be gentle and kind in our, in our defense of our faith. And with that in mind, let's look at a few of the responses that Peter lays before us. First of all, he said, listen, listen. We as believers, we need to listen. We need to listen to God's Word. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And uh, when you come to church, we're almost through this sermon, by the way, but when you come to church, Peter says, listen, it's not all just on the preacher. You have, you have got some skin in this game, too. It's your responsibility to listen. It's my responsibility to listen. He says, listen to the words of God. And the second response, we have to remember that his sermon was evangelistic, so uh, he says, Repent. Repent. That is a response to the good news of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. Repenting meaning changing your mind to agree with God about your sin. And, and sometimes we do this and we say, okay, well, well then I just got to feel bad about my sin. If I just feel guilty, then I'm good. I'm like, oh, I beat myself up a little bit. I, man, I didn't do the laundry like Bree told me to do. And I feel so bad about this. Or I was really a jerk. And now I'm good. But the Bible speaks of repentance so closely tying the changing of your mind to the changing of your actions that we can't really separate it. That is, your mind is changed about the sin in your life that you would not continue doing it, but that you would change. You would turn and walk in righteousness with the Lord. He says you have to repent. Third, be baptized. He says repent and be baptized. And there's a lot of believers who will uh, say, I'm just not ready to be baptized yet. And biblically speaking, if you have authentic saving faith in Jesus Christ, you're ready to be baptized. Because if we're really honest, what we mean when we say, I'm not ready to be baptized yet, most of the time means, I'm scared to get up in front of the church. And I understand that. I was very scared for a long time too. But that does not make it right. That's not the reason to not be baptized. Peter says, be baptized. You, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now publicly declare it to the church that you are a Christian, that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Listen, repent, be baptized. Fourth, speak up. We can see that as a response. Give a defense for your faith. Don't be afraid to talk about Jesus. When you're in your workplace, talk about Jesus. When you're in your schools, talk about Jesus. You never know the people you're talking to who are ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter was talking to thousands of Jews who were hostile towards him. 
who just weeks before had crucified Jesus, had seen him uh, deny Jesus three times, and the apostles all, the disciples all fleeing at his arrest. And yet he stood confidently and said, this is the truth. Can you stand confidently and say, this is the truth, when your faith is questioned? And the last response to submit to the Holy Spirit. This happens daily in our lives. Luke's exposition of the events that took place during and following the day of Pentecost show that uh, clearly it is the Holy Spirit that bears witness to God's work in our lives. If you want people to see the work that Jesus is doing in you, live according to the Holy Spirit. Obey, trust, follow. You're no longer the ruler of your life, but that you would live a life in submission to the Lord. You don't get to call the shots. And Paul in Galatians, Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in 1 Corinthians, he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It's been said that a spouse who is 85% loyal is not loyal at all. There is no partial loyalty when it comes to following Christ. It's all or nothing. As Augustine said, Jesus Christ isn't valued at all until he is valued above all. Is that true in your life today? Do you value Jesus above all things? So as we close out this morning, let our prayer as we leave echo the prayer of David in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way.